experimentation, change, creating something new, something different, being unafraid to go out on the edge, on the ledge, if you will. These are just a few of the things of innovation. Welcome to our Wednesday live event, Innovation and Audio. Before we even get started, I'd like to draw everybody's attention to a very special guest and live event that is coming to the Clubhouse app in our group, The Encourager, September 21st, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, the presentation of a major national research study about radio listeners from Fituri. And uh, this is on listener behavior and what listeners want now. This study was fielded after the lockdown. In fact, it was it was fielded uh, heavily into 2021. So the information is both critical and, of course, it's fresh new information, a fresh new look at listeners. Look for us to share details, including comments directly from participants in the uh, section of the research that was focus group oriented. Learn what radio listeners are saying after the 2020 lockdowns. And as people are headed back to work now, you might be very, very surprised. Our special guest is Erin Callahan. She is the director, Enterprise Partnerships at Fituri Media. She's got a lot to say. My name is Lloyd Ford, and I do work that helps local radio brands, local cluster strategy, personalities, and broadcast companies with Rainmaker Pathway Consulting Works. If you want to improve your radio station by just 10%, reach out to me, and I can get you a list of consultants that can do that and have done that for the last 30 years. But at Rainmaker Pathway, we believe that the 21st century calls for a lot more than that. And we roll up our sleeves and provide real solutions for the new challenges facing broadcasters today. And we work behind the scenes to improve your ratings and your revenue more significantly. Ask us about encouragement, too. It's one of our services. If you know somebody who's looking for fresh answers and not so much the old school, we'd love to help. Reach out anytime, F-O-R-D at RainmakerPathway.com. Our consultations are both free and confidential. This live event is part of a podcast series called the Encouragers Innovation and Audio Podcast and will become available within about an hour of the end of this live event wherever you get your podcast. Our thanks to Joe Kelly for producing our podcast events and JustJoeProductions.com for creating our audio footprint and distributing them. They do a great job for us. We're very appreciative. Today, we're going to visit with Mike Pell is going to be with us. You're going, what? Who's Mike Pell? Let me tell you, he's an envisioneer. And if you know what that is, you know. And he's also the director of the Microsoft Garage in New York City. You might be asking yourself, what is that? Well, you're going to find out all about it. And of course, we'll also be joined by Gary Bernstein, who is the CEO of Oceanic Tradewinds, Inc. What about next week? You know, if you've attended any of our innovation and audio live events, you know that I'd like to flash forward one week first, just so that you know what's coming next Wednesday. Of course, Wednesday, September 22nd, Maddie Stott 
will will be with us, the EVP of podcasting at Amaze Media Labs in Los Angeles, California. And you will love hearing all about what they're up to with innovation. See our full upcoming guest calendar with our free blog section at RainmakerPathway.com. You'll also find free encouragement for on-air and promotions with our more than live and local guest series and encouragement for radio sellers. It's even more encouragement for them. You know that they are so critical to local radio operations. They get encouragement with our encouraging sales success series. And we also have a, a bunch of stacked benefits for anybody, free resources for anybody who earns their living in radio today. We don't lock away anything on our site like some other consultants do. So go to RainmakerPathway.com anytime. See what you can get for free directly from our team. Let's talk about today's guest right now. So listen to this. If you've not heard of the Microsoft Garage, this might be a little bit groundbreaking for you. So hang back and have a good time. The Microsoft Garage is a program that drives a culture of innovation. They deliver programs and experiences to employees, customers, and ecosystem that drive collaboration, creativity, and experimentation. So Mike Pell is an, a visioneer and he's the director of the Microsoft Garage in New York City. He literally deals with innovation, creativity, experimentation, and we're very, very fortunate to have him on Innovation and Audio right now. Mike, welcome. How are you? I'm great, Lloyd. Let's do this. All right. So I want to start right away with the book, right? Now, I know you've got a couple of books, but I specifically want you first to tell us about your book called The Age of Smart Information. Well, thanks for the opportunity to tell people about that. It's really a future history of where we're going with communication as a result of merging artificial intelligence and what we call mixed reality or augmented reality together the way that we communicate to each other, whether it's in business or education, or just personally, has been transformed forever already. And so I wrote the book sort of from the future, telling people how this is going to unfold and exactly how they can participate. So it was a lot of fun for me. There's a lot of great information in there for people. And is some of it predicting the future? Like some of it's got to be things that you know that are coming. Like I remember, you know, look, you can hang out on Facebook and every once in a while you'll see something like a post from 1963 in a local newspaper. This lady talking about how everybody's going to walk around with these cell phones. Do you know stuff like that about the future? Absolutely. I'm from the future, Lloyd. Of course you are. I knew you were going to get me there. All right. So let, let's go back for a minute. What drew you to technology and innovation early on? Because this is clearly your wheelhouse. It's what you are passionate about. Yeah, I love growing up uh, wanting to be an astronaut. You know, it was during the days of the Apollo space race. There was technology, um, the beginnings of Star Trek. There was so much opportunity and, and so many challenges. I just was drawn to science fiction and technology. I was an artist as a, a young kid. I loved to draw, so I would sketch you know, all kinds of crazy things, always had a good imagination. So I think it was just sort of natural for me to go into the tech industry. Okay, well, let's talk about this. Can you tell us what it's like to found and self-fund a software startup? Because you did that. I did. A little stressful. I've done it a couple of times. 
Uh, very fun, though. Uh, I would highly recommend it to people who have a lot of passion, who want to grow themselves. You may not be successful necessarily in the way that, that you would like to be, but I guarantee you, you will learn things you could not any other way. You know, it's really interesting. People people love to talk about innovation, but in in reality, innovation carries risk with it. You used that word stressful a minute ago. That was pretty interesting, right? It's pretty telling that you've been through some experiences, right? Yeah. Um, innovation is a very loaded word these days. It, you know, everybody seems to be using it for a lot of different reasons. But right. as you just said, Lloyd, um, at the heart of it, is this notion that it, it is unpredictable. I mean, you, you cannot sit down and say, I'm going to be innovative right now. Uh, you can say, I'm going to try to think differently. I'm going to try to you know, use a growth mindset. I'm going to you know, think about and experiment with and, and be curious about things that I'm not really sure if they're going to work or not. But you know, the, the biggest problem for people who are trying to be innovators is that it is very messy and very unpredictable. Mm. And you just have to go with it. You just have to try it, see if it works, doesn't work, try it again, go a different direction. And that's sort of inherent. And one thing that, you know, many people run into is they, their investors or, you know, certain other people they talk to might want data to support their assumptions or the things that they want to try. And the fact is you can never put together enough data before you try something. You just got to do it. Man, I, I, I almost wish you'd say that twice. I have run across CEOs before where I've been in heated exchanges with them, not just in the radio field, by the way, where they're talking about researching something before it happens. And I'm always like, I'm sorry, that's knuckleheaded. You, you can't do that. How can you research something before it occurs? Yeah, you can gather a lot of great information. You can have some perhaps precedents or similar things. Mm -hmm. But if you're actually trying to truly innovate, you're trying to truly leap forward or create some type of a real breakthrough, there's no data to support that until you actually go do it. That's right. Well, listen, I want people to get a sense of the robustness of your innovation and in your career. You've recruited CEOs in your career path. I know this. And I, I just kind of want to ask you this question. Is it hard to do that? And specifically, is it hard to find a CEO who will be both innovative and also make practical decisions? There's certainly many talented people out there. The key is for whatever type of organization you're recruiting for, you know, sometimes you may be one of the founders and you're trying to bring in a CEO to perhaps take you to the next level or, you know, you're in a, another type of startup or, you know, other organization who needs a great leader. They're not always going to be hand in hand. There's some people with an incredible vision, very charismatic, can really take the organization to the next level based purely on their passion and their vision. Um, other CEOs are, are very by the books, numbers people, data people. Uh, rare, I would say, in my experience, to find someone who is equal parts vision and passion and practicality and, and numbers. You can find them. Um, that's sort of like the magic, you know, like the unicorn that you're looking for. That's right. That's right. All right. So you have already used my favorite words several times, or one of my favorite words for sure. And look, one of my favorite books is called A Curious Mind, The Secret to a Bigger Life by Brian Grazier. Now, for those of us who are struggling and going, yeah, I know that name. You know, you don't know who he is immediately. He is Ron Howard's producing partner in Hollywood. Curiosity drives your interest in all things creative, technology, and future, doesn't it? 
It really does. Curiosity is at the heart of just about everything we do in the Microsoft garage and also for me personally. And and let me go back to something you said a minute ago, uh, and we were talking about risk, and, and really we didn't label it, but failure. Failure is a frequent friend of yours, right? I mean, nobody wants to say it, but you learn more from failure than you do success. I was just going to say that, Lloyd. I, I'm not a big mm -hmm. fan of failing, but yet I fail every single day. Because and I'm trying things. I'm, I'm being experimented. Oh, absolutely. Multiple times a day. It's kind of like if be... you're not failing, you're not experimenting, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, ask any scientist and they'll tell you most experiments fail, right? Mm -hmm. um, they learn something always. I, personally, I don't like romanticizing the notion of failing or failing fast. There's nothing romantic or good about family, yeah. frankly, yeah. except it's uncomfortable, except, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, except that you learn. And it's absolutely the only way um, to learn. So should you embrace failure um, only to the extent that you know it's good for you and you know are that you, something's coming out of it? Are you good at, um, what would you say, compartmentalizing failure and staying positive? I think so. I'm a pretty optimistic and positive person in general. And, and failing to me is just part of the process. It's, All right, it's no, no better or worse than any other part. Let's talk about what kind of person you are. A senior UX designer at Oracle said this about you. Quote, I was impressed immediately by Mike's strong design thinking in combination with his team management skills. Mike is a thoughtful and experienced user experience expert who is always open to share his extensive knowledge of user-centered design concepts with others. Why is it so important to think about the user and what makes some people really good at thinking about them instead of thinking about us, the people that are working on products? Having empathy is important for anyone these days, certainly, but it's almost one of the things that you have to be good at if you're designing products and services. You have to really understand how the people that are going to be, you know, participating in whatever it is you're doing, using the product, um, signing up for a service. You have to be able to put yourself in their shoes to really understand what you're doing. You know, what are you asking them to do? What are you not asking them to do? How are they going to feel? How's their day going? So that's that notion of empathy around people and putting people at the center, that's always the key. And, and one thing that I'll say, our industry has used the word user for decades. There's no such thing as a user. A user is oh. a faceless, nameless blob that doesn't mean anything to anybody. What do you, what do you call it? People. 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 You know, you know, I'm really fascinated with what you've done there because I – I was waiting for some really clever something, 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 and out comes empathy, which I was not expecting, but it makes total sense, especially when you add that last little line in there. I Listen, I, I we love talking to people about innovation, and when we say we love talking to people about it, we mean people who are really actually clearly doing innovation. Can you tell us about Microsoft Garage? Of course. Microsoft Garage is a worldwide program that helps employees to take their ideas and move them forward in some way. You know, we all have great ideas, and, and it's true that good ideas come from anywhere and everywhere. 
And so why leave it to just a small set of people to try to come up with the next great thing when we all have something to contribute? So we've created a program to allow our employees to work with our ecosystem partners and our customers in some cases to take those ideas and try to move them forward in a meaningful way, try to reduce them to something that can be tested, that can be tried, but very, very quickly. Not something that's gonna take six months or a year, it's gonna take six hours you know, or, or a week at the most. Do something that we can try to see where it can go. And that's sort of at the heart of the innovation part of this is taking you know, everyone's great ideas and moving them forward. But also the reason that we did the garage program was to help change the culture of Microsoft, to try it to be more experimental, more curious, all the things we just talked about, Lloyd, so that that was part of how everyone uh, behaved and thought and acted on a daily basis. I think that's really important because you look at a big company like Microsoft and go, no, there's not going to be any innovation happening. Not that it wouldn't at Microsoft, but I'm saying a large company, you know, your suspicion is, you know, uh, success is the enemy of innovation. That's not going to happen. There are a bunch of people with cash registers trying to figure out how to make money, not innovate. And I find it fascinating that you you have broken apart with this Microsoft garage. And this is exactly what you're trying to do is innovate first, right? Yeah, it's different when you're inside of a large corporation or a university or, you know, or any large organization because it's intrapreneurial. Right. It's not entrepreneurial. It's not the same as being a startup in Silicon Valley or anywhere else. Being an entrepreneur is understanding the structure, how your company works, what's the rhythm of business, who are the stakeholders, what do I need to do to get people's attention to sponsor this and want to move it mm -hmm. forward. So it's a very different type of motion that you would take inside of a company uh, rather than being an externally maybe venture-backed startup or even self-funded startup. Interesting. All right. Well, listen, we are big believers in mentors on the encouragers. And, you know, we have a Monday and a Wednesday live event. Plus, we have special events that we do always. We try to work in mentors in some way. When you were studying at the University of Arizona, I want to know if you think you could have seen yourself as the director of something called the Microsoft Garage. And then can you share with us one mentor and maybe a quick story about how having that mentor may have changed or improved your world? When I was at the U of A, I would stare out the window sometimes and, and think about starting my own company. And, you know, my hero, the, the person that I sort of looked to for inspiration and mentorship in a way was Steve Jobs and what he had done with, you know, Apple sort of turning them around, really pushing forward with the early Macintosh. So could I have imagined myself running something like this inside of a huge corporation like Microsoft? Probably not. But in later years, I did go to Microsoft. And one of my first experiences with mentors was being asked by one of my managers to go find a mentor. It was, it's a very common thing in large organizations for people mm -hmm. to suggest that you go find a mentor, which is great. As a new employee, you want to learn the culture. You want to figure out you know, what you could be doing better. And so I thought to myself, I don't want to find a mentor for the job I'm in now. I want to find a mentor who's incredibly inspiring to me and can help me get to the next level of the thing that I really care about. Smart. And for me, yeah, at Microsoft, it was a gentleman named George Robertson who was sort of the, the father of 3D UI design. 
incredibly brilliant guy, early, early, early innovator and pioneer in this space. And I, I went and found him and, and asked him like, Hey George, would you be a mentor to me? Because that was an area of interest of mine. I wanted to get better. I wanted to push the boundaries and continue to move forward. And, and he agreed to my sort of astonishment at that time. But I found Lloyd that if you ask people to spend a little bit of time either mentoring or coaching you, you'd be surprised how many people will say yes. Oh, I think that is true. And and we talked about that a lot on the encouragers. Uh, I, I'm especially kind of curious in, in what I'll call your lane, this lane of technology and innovation and experimentation and curiosity. You hang out with some pretty heavy people. Um, does it change who you are? Like when you ran into George and, you know, now you're you're getting mentored by George. That really changed you, right? Certainly did. Um, I've even had the good fortune when I was working at Adobe of getting to meet Steve Jobs several times. Uh, actually, when I went to Apple, got to eat lunch next to Steve Jobs. It's like it's funny who you run into in the tech um, world, but it it does change you in the in the way that you realize people are people, and like yes, they've had oh, yeah. successes or, or fortunes or you know whatever's happened, but. In the end, you know, we're all just after the same thing, right? It's, wait, wait. And and did you find Steve Jobs to be people as people or or did he live up to all the myths that you like if you, you're us and you never met Steve Jobs and obviously you have, what was that experience like for you? Well, as I said earlier, he was my hero and inspiration right. at that time. And so I was a bit starstruck, I have to say, but but he mm. was very real. You know, he he was. Um, this is back in the the old days when he was pushing his next computer, and and it was groundbreaking and astounding. Oh. And he was sort of like working his magic to explain to all these Adobe employees what he had done and what the potential was. But it it does when you see that in person, when you're around someone, it doesn't matter. They can be uh, an athlete, someone in your domain, in your field, that truly inspires you. You see them as a person, but you see them as perhaps someone that has taken their ability to the next level. And I always find that that helps to push you to see what you can do better. You know, and it's really interesting when you're around somebody like a Steve Jobs, it's like being around Michael Jordan. They defy gravity in a way that is not normal. Like it's not something that you ordinarily see. So it, it has to reshape your world a little bit also just to come into that gravitational pull, if you will. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of fun. Now, let's talk about you again, because you, you didn't write a book. You've written a number of books. And this next one uh, is really kind of interesting. You wrote a book called Envisioning Holograms. What causes somebody like you to constantly push the edges? Or do you feel like you are that kind of person? Uh, I just naturally sort of live in the future, you know, blessing and a curse, I always am a little bit ahead of where we are, which is great because you have some vision and you can share that with people. It's bad right. in business to be ahead. You know, it's always best to be on time as far as these things go. But in envisioning holograms, I was really just trying to share what I had learned, you know, working for several years with these cutting edge technologies like augmented reality and virtual reality, mixed reality. I was trying to share how people could get into that field uh, if they had no experience, if they were coming from a different design background. So right. writing writing that book really came out of me wanting to share what I had learned. 
So if we have an epiphany tonight, we want to know how to get into that field. A good place to start is that book. Absolutely. It was actually yeah. used as a textbook at a university in uh, Melbourne, Australia. I kind of felt like, I don't know why, but I felt like that, that part of the world would come up in this conversation. I don't know. Maybe it's the hat. I'm not sure. Now, the, now people that will be listening to the podcast will be like, I thought that Clubhouse was an audio-based thing, and it is, but you can see a visual image just for the reference. So, listen, I, I want to know, how do you specifically encourage creativity, innovation, curiosity, and experimentation in an organization? How do you go about doing that? Part of it is having people feel comfortable with being able to present their idea, you know, being mm. able to push forward, not having to ask permission to go and try something. So it's really back to the culture. Can you right. make it, uh, an, you know, a safe place? Can you make it acceptable to not agree, you know, to right. sort of offer a different perspective, to just try something without having to provide all the data, you know, having a complete ROI statement as to why this is a good idea to do this. That's really where innovation comes from. It comes mm -hmm. from the knowledge and the encouragement. And I would say in, in some cases, the courage to push and, and not ask permission. I think it's really difficult to tell creativity how to do something. In other words, that idea of trying to take risk away. I do this with morning shows in the radio business a lot, where we talk about the risk belongs to the coach. It doesn't belong to the morning show. The morning show should be isolated to where they can take that risk. And I know that this is a different business than yours for sure, but you certainly understand making risk okay, because people are risk adverse. They don't want to be seen as outcast and different or wrong, right? True. Uh, but if you look at business history, it will show you that companies that have become complacent are no longer in business. Thank Even you. Even the, the, the biggest companies that we all remember from when we were younger are no longer here because they came complacent. They allowed upstarts to, to try things and eventually they lost their market share. Well, I mean, it could be as simple as looking at Sears and Walmart. You know, I, I think most people are familiar with the fact that Sam Walton went to this, I guess it was the Sears building a long time ago and basically begged them to take part in what he was doing. And they kind of laughed him out of the room. And um, it's not as funny for Sears now, I think. <laughs> right. I think I think you'd be hard pressed to find a Sears. Right. And, and it's exactly what you're saying. You know, if you don't have some kind of innovation curve developed, you're going to fall behind and you're going to become less viable. So, OK, finally, I think I finally arrived to your, your favorite question. It's my last question for you now. Um, finally, I want you to tell us about the future. In your opinion, are we going to be living like the Jetsons and... What is the best way for us, the common man, if you will, to embrace the future today? We are absolutely going to be living like the Jetsons at some point. I mean, look at what Elon <laughs> Musk has been able to do in a very short amount of time. So yeah, you, he's you know, the guy. Being, 
being an optimist, uh, I've got to believe, and, and being, uh, you know, loving the Jetsons and science fiction, of, of right. course, we're going to get there. And what's the best way for us to embrace the future today? Go, go invent it. Go do it. Right? Don't wait around for somebody else. Just like Nike now, says, just do it. Now, would you see Elon Musk the way that you used to see Steve Jobs? What kind Absolutely. of animal is is this guy, Elon Musk? He is totally different, right? Yeah, he is. I think history will show that he is one of those great um, innovators, experimenters, and creators. You know that that we can all look back at and identify immediately as really pushing civilization forward. I know I'm not the only one, but I kind of chuckle at the Wall Streeters who are trying to figure out how to contain this guy. And it's like, how do you contain somebody that is that thing? He's the reason that that company is so innovative and really you can't even say company. It's a set of companies. He's trying to disrupt energy itself. Pretty fascinating. It is uh, incredibly fascinating. I mean, energy, transportation, spaceflight. Yes. Uh, um, artificial intelligence, right? Brain interface. There's so many different fields that are cutting edge he's involved with. So you can say what you want about him, but the fact that he has been able to build companies that are pushing us all forward is pretty remarkable. You can see that I asked the last question a couple of questions ago, so I'm clearly a liar, or as I like to say, I'm just innovating here. Um, how many people work with you at the uh, Microsoft Garage? The Garage team is very small and scrappy. We're very proud of that. We have nice. 14 garages around the world. And that's one of the oh. great things about working in the garage is that we are very much a worldwide team. So in just about any, any meeting I'm in, I'm talking with my teammates in different parts of the world. It helps us to keep a global view and to always uh, make sure that we can understand and represent other perspectives. I promise you, I'm going to spend a lot more time talking to you, Mike. I do want to thank you for joining us on Innovation and Audio. I hope you'll stick around in case our guests that are listening might have a few questions for you after our second interview. Sound fair? Absolutely. I'll be here. All right. Well, well, listen, while you're listening to this live event, make sure that you have joined the encouragers here on the Clubhouse app and share what we're doing with friends in radio and audio and those people who like innovation. Follow the people on stage tonight and look around the room for others that you can connect with. A big part of encouraging you and your audio career is helping you engage in networking. Find out what our guests talk about every single week, including hacks to make your career better and certainly more innovative by subscribing to the Encouragers Innovation and Audio Podcast. We have great guests with insight every single week. You'll learn, you'll grow, you'll meet challenges of your career in the 21st century with new tools and new tactics. Meet our guests live on the Clubhouse app or subscribe to the podcast. Of course, uh, we have two different podcasts, if you can believe that. One is the Encouragers Innovation and Audio Podcast, and the second one is the Encouragers The Radio Rally Podcast. And they're all available on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. You can find us there. Our second special event that we have coming up on October the 1st, if you're serious about programming, developing audience for your radio station, or developing audience anywhere with music, you will want to to 
be a part of this. Even if you just want to be the best music director in your market, we can help you. I promise you, this is a must attend live event. Make time for Guy Zapolian on October 1st. Yes, it's our Friday night live event with Guy Zapolian, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. We call it Music Research and Rotations. We are going to talk about music, music discovery, research, and rotations then and now with Guy Zapolian. And I have spent a little bit of time with Guy today as we're doing the prep, and I can tell you it's going to be worth your time to hear from Guy Zapolian. Skip Dillard from WBLS and Hot 97 in New York City is my co-host for Innovation and Audio, and this live event was actually his idea. Skip, how are you? I am doing good tonight, Lloyd, and really, really enjoyed uh, our guest tonight, the first guest, and, uh, you know, always some some great insight and um our guest uh next guest tonight second guest mm. is is definitely got uh some so a lot to talk about I can uh, i've been looking for the, i've been looking forward to this too a whole lot gary how are you man i'm doing excellent how are you doing skip good good doing fine gary bernstein of ocean trade winds and, and gary to start off, I mean, you've worked with some some of the biggest names in syndication, a few that, that you know, come to mind off the, the top, uh, Pastor Donnie McClurkin, uh, Wendy Williams, uh, the Baker Boys, gospel legend B.B. Wymans, uh, syndicated morning show host uh, Ricky Smiley, uh, gospel, uh, she's like 20 and already a legend, Ja'Kalen Carr. Um, Russ Parr, uh, the great Yolanda Adams, and, and many others. Uh, tell me about how your career path led you into a career in syndication. Well, Skip, first off, um, you know, I, I was fascinated by Mike as well. So fantastic, uh, you know, uh, first uh, first guest. You know, that was, a, that was really enlightening. Um, I started as an on-air talent. So I was a, I was a DJ, um, did everything from country radio to rock and roll radio. And then from there, I went into being a news director. And I did that for a couple of years. And I got really good at, at that. And then, you know, and they wanted to raise me into, you know, uh, you know, uh, I guess a more senior position on that side. And then uh, I went from news to actually being an account executive uh, on the advertising side. And I did that for eight years. And, you know, and I, I hit a ceiling at that time, but I think I used my skill in copywriting and news gathering to do basically on the go specs. So I would go into in a client's, uh, whether it's a car dealership or, a, you know, a jewelry store, and basically ascertain what, you know, what's unique about the client. And then instead of coming back and going to a copywriter, I basically just did the commercial right in front of them on the spot and got the sale that way. Um, and that was uh, at that point in time, I thought very innovative and it, and it worked and, you know, I did well at the selling side. Um, at the same time, I had a love of music and I believed Caribbean music was going to be the next thing. I was working with uh, a gentleman by the name of KB in the Bahamas and he had a big song out there, which I produced with him called She Fat. One of being a huge, huge Caribbean hit. Um, and I wanted obviously to take junk and new music to the mainstream. That was my goal. Um, so at the time I was doing ad sales and producing music, I was approached by, uh, John Garabedian who ran a company called super radio and he was, a, a real innovator in 
the field. He was a legend. And he said, Gary, you know, you're going as far as you've gone in ad sales. You need to do something new. I need somebody to help build my company up. Um, I had this product called Open House Party, which I personally was a fan of. It was just one of the first radio shows on satellite. It sounded like it was local everywhere it was on. It was I was just amazed by the show. And he convinced me to help build his company from being a one product company, which was just a pop company, into other formats like uh, urban and you know and you know all, all sorts of different aspects of syndication. Um, so it really was first on air, then advertising, and then going into you know help build one of the bigger syndication companies. Yeah. Now, it's really interesting because you know syndication still plays a major part of the radio landscape today and and you know i wish i had a few dollars for every talent that told me their dream was to be syndicated uh, in terms of, of your thoughts i'd love to hear about the process you feel it takes for a a talent let's say who's in a uh great ratings position in a large market um what where does it go from there where does it start and and where does it end up with 15 or 50 affiliates well, I, I just started a project three months ago with um, these hip-hop legends called the Baker Boys. So this is something we can talk about that's recent. Um, radio station Phoenix, Arizona called KZCE, you know, um, said we'd love yeah. to have these guys, love to have these guys, not a great signal, love to have these guys do afternoon drive. Now, you know, the, the Baker Boys have a, you know, decades of experience in syndication, um, number one in Power 106 in LA, and, but they've been out of day-to-day -day radio for a while. Um, I've been syndicating their mix shows, which are their weekend shows for a while, but they've, they felt that on the Monday to Friday side, the daily side of syndication, there's just not a lot of great talent. So I said to them, I said, you're gonna have to get a success story. You know, syndication's about winning somewhere. You know, granted your great air talent, I believe that, you know, I've seen it, you know, market after market where they've won, but you're going to have to prove it somewhere. So luckily, um, a program director named John Candelaria, who, who coincidentally I worked with in building up the Ricky Smiley show, um, what, what a decade ago, we st it started in Dallas, Texas. Um, he had a station in Phoenix for the Baker Boys and um, we put him on an afternoon drive and the station just blew up from being nowhere to being like a top five station in the market. Um, you know, with the Baker Boys doing PM Drive and being a large part of it. So then you have a success story in one market, then, you know, is this just the Phoenix thing? Is Phoenix close to LA? Um, another station came up in uh, Las Vegas, Nevada um, and called the Oasis. So we put them on in evenings there. So now we have a couple of markets and we have some excitement. And then he went on K-Day in LA and you have a third market. Suddenly at that point in time, you have a track record and then you go to a syndication part company, and we in this in this situation went to Compass, and you know we're building a national platform. And then you also want to not just have great talent; you want to make sure you're working with a format that has legs. And in radio right now, I believe the older skewing formats have the, mo the most legs. I feel that with the younger skewing formats, they're not really listening to radio like they used to. Um, the top forty folks and the hip hop folks. So, you know, great talent track record in a couple of markets and you know that's that's one example of this you know of, of a syndication product with experienced radio pros um jacqueline carr is a recent uh project of mine and, and again she's 23 years old um i felt with her because she's a huge social media star and i i feel in radio right now 
the social media aspect of it is important as on the as the on-air aspect of it. You know, you really have to have a good social media integration. So I felt, listen, you have a, a young superstar, could be the face of the format for the next 10 years. Um, let's get her started on some, um, some radio stations. So we put her on in Philadelphia, Chicago. I try to get a station, every single station group. Because if you get a success story at a cumulus market, and like we had one in Birmingham, other stations come on. You get one at Cox and Jacksonville. You know, and, and, in, and in Jacksonville with Cox, we actually used her social media savvy. They actually reposted one of uh, Jacqueline's awards, and that was their biggest post for the entire month. Wow. So, yeah, so it's just trying to find somebody that has star power, that has their own hook, some, or, or, or something that's unique and build it out from a couple of markets to, you know, hopefully a national network of 55 to 60 stations or more. Sure. I was curious, Gary, with, with podcasting, I know it hasn't really happened yet, but do you see a, a great syndication talent coming to a bunch of radio stations from the podcast environment in, in the near future? Yeah, I've always felt that even before podcasting, social media influencers would make great radio hosts. You know, if you have the ability to attract an audience, you know, that's that's one great uh, tenet of being successful. In the podcasting world, if you can entertain, you know, and you can attract an audience, you know, you'll be great on the radio. You just have to learn the structure of it. And if you've got the, if you've got the, uh, the you know, the, the track record, the entertainment value, the charisma, to get people to be addicted to you, then, then you'll be a great radio host. I mean, it's just learning the formatics, getting somebody like you, Skip, to say, listen, you're a superstar. Now mm -hmm. take it from doing 30 minutes uninterrupted to do it into short, entertainable bursts. And mm -hmm. um, so, uh, listen, you know, it's, it, that's an easier thing to teach than basically having no talent, no charisma, and just being a formula. And I think right now where radio's going, it's what's in between the records that's going to make a difference. And if you can't light it up and be totally, you know, charismatic and be interesting in coming up with compelling talent, you're not going to do anything because there's so many other options of places to go. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And it, it's something I've, you know, when I, I talked to talent, I said, you know, uh, many people think, hey, once I'm syndicated, I can lay back in the cut and enjoy myself i've arrived and and you know i'll, I'll i want to use one of your longtime uh, relationships as an example i think that you know I, I've, I've met few harder people recently than uh frank ski uh that you've worked with for a couple of years here of course uh you know he does mornings after moving over from b103 in atlanta to the i think number one music station in the market walr and gets off mornings, preps, and does afternoons in Washington, D.C. at number one WHUR. And I listened to HUR last month, and I was like, my God, he sounds like he totally lives in D.C. and hasn't even seen Atlanta. You know, what does it take to handle that kind of workload? You really have to love what you're doing. I mean, he's like the modern-day version of Tom Joyner. And that's what Frank is. I mean, he's, he's just a consummate pro. You know, and he has this, this uncanny ability to find great talent. So if you truly love radio and you can find the, the great content and, and you can entertain, um, 
doing a couple of shifts is not that hard. You just need a good team around you. I mean, if you have a good team around you, you can build the content and have the benchmarks that are really, really relevant and get incredible guests. You know, he's proving that, you know, his formula is really what's happening right now. I mean, that's the, you know, he's the case example of somebody that would be great in syndication because he, you know, he went to WHUR in Washington, D.C. They were number 15 in afternoon drive. He huh. took the station all the way to number one. Wow. And he did it. He did it in less than a year. And then in Atlanta, you know, he's legendary, obviously, you mm-hmm. know, was number one in the market with V103. And he's on the way of doing the same thing with WALR. But again, I think that his uh, type of content and really is resonating with people today. Um, it's he, he's very engaging. He's you know, he's not above the audience. Sure. You know, he's one of the audience and his co-host. Um, Nina is just phenomenal. So they have this incredible chemistry. And, and he's worked with her for like 15 years. Wow. Um, they, they know each other really well. They, there's a push and pull amongst them. You know, she's uh, has a great um, female acumen. She really resonates with females. And I think that that combination and the content they're bringing is, you know, it's, it's well-balanced content. You know, there's an element of humor, there's seriousness. They're hitting on current topics. Um, the overall, uh, I think, the meal they're giving people is a successful meal. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Gary, what what timeline? Let's say you identify, for lack of someone I can think, Skip Dillard as your next big syndication talent. How patient should I be? Let's say everything's working according to plan. How long is it going to take to get to a decent amount of affiliates to get in the door with with your work? What do you, what, what's a do you have a a kind of a, you know a, an estimate of what you try to get done in let's say six months, a year, two years? Well, if it's Skip Dillard, it would probably be very quickly. It would be immediate. So, <laughs> right. so it would be a thousand stations. It would be tomorrow. But what in a, a normal situation, that somebody doesn't have your clout, Skip, we have, there's there's a little bit of a setup. You know, you want you, you want to get a great marketing story. Um, you want you, know, you you just want to make sure you have a sizzle that really tells the story of the talent. Um, love to have a couple of markets. We have a great success story. Um, then you want to partner and put the right team together because everything is the team. You know, you need to have a great uh, ad sales rep firm that sells the commercials, a great affiliate team to get radio stations, um, and maybe a strategic uh, consultant also. To, to help bring it all to fruition. And it's, and it takes, it's a longer process these days because the decision is no longer the program director, sometimes not even the market manager, sometimes it has to go all the way to the top of a company to get on a morning show. And sometimes it's a committee decision. I mean, if it's an independent station, it's usually a lot quicker, but you know, I find it's a lot more, it's a longer process in getting a, uh, in getting a deal done. I'm working on a project right now you know, which I, I, I never talk about something until it goes into yeah. syndication, but there's, there's, there's somebody in the, in the audience that's a part of this project. And we've had a, a verbal in the top five market for like eight months. And finally, wow. and finally that verbal came to reality. So it's signed now. That's so great. We'll, so we'll be starting in syndication with that project on September 27th. And that's been a long road and you have to be patient. But I always believe if you start with a huge market like this top five market and you have great talent, you know, it's going to be a home run. So I'm really excited about that project. That's so cool. 
you know, today we've seen over the, uh, you know, uh, course of the last few years, many syndication companies merging, becoming bigger and bigger. I mean, it just feels like there are probably four or five syndication companies, including, uh, you know, those that are in-house, Reach Media for Radio One, uh, Premier, more so connected with iHeart, uh, Westwood One with Cumulus. I, I mean, it, it must make your job harder than, than it has at, at other times, I, I would guess. Well, I, right now, I, I currently work with a number of the different companies. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, t- I tend to fill in the gaps. Um, I work with um, Super Radio with Young Jock. I work with Compass mm-hmm. with uh, uh, the Baker Boys. I work with Westwood One with uh, Donnie McClurkin mm-hmm. um, and Jacqueline Carr. I'll be doing a project with Reach Media. In the in coming up in the in the near future, um, I, I just like the more options you have of potential partners. To me, it's better because you want to find the right you know it's the right marriage. If I'm walking into a bar and there's five women, you know I have a better chance of getting a, uh, the right partner than if there's just one woman. So, and every syndication company has their own strengths and weaknesses. And you, what I try to do is just have an all-star cast around a project because, to me, it has to be successful. I have to load the deck in somebody's favor to have the absolute best chance of success. And I want each personality that I'm working with to make money because they're putting a lot of hard work in. You want it to be a successful result. Yeah. And, and give me a little thought on merchandising. I'm not, you know, I, I know that you help a variety of talents with, with product engagement, uh, you know, and, and various, uh, you know, entrepreneurship opportunities. Let's talk a bit about that and, and, and the talent of today that, may not be able to get a full check from, you know, their radio stations and, you know, and how, how that process goes. I think what you want to do in this environment is not rely on radio for all your money. Um, I think you have to get a 360 degree life. I mean, you learned it with recording artists. Uh, you know, there are recording artists that make more money with fashion deals than they do selling music. True. And, um, you know, what I try to do when I have a, a, a client, like I'm also an agent, so I represent different talent, you know, in getting their deals. But as a syndicator, I, you know, with Frank Ski, which is a recent deal, we know he loves wine, he loves bourbon. Hmm. So when I was out in LA, um, one of my good friends ran Pat Bennett, runs part Pat Benatar's bourbon company. Oh, wow. And I've always been a big fan of Pat Benatar. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, you know, I've never drank bourbon in my life before. So I tried the bourbon <laughs> on an empty stomach and it was like, oh my God, this was interesting. So I had like three okay. glasses of bourbon and it was like, then you know, I was going right from there in the recording studio and I was probably useless in the studio, but I, you know, developed the, developed the passion for bourbon. And obviously I connected the dots between Frank and this company called Three Chords and you know, Frank developed his own specific version, you know, mm-hmm. util- utilizing ingredients. He, you know, he sat down and developed his own mix and mixture and called the Frank Ski Selection with three chords. And we mm-hmm. just launched in, 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 in Atlanta. You know, we had a wine tasting event. It was extremely successful. And now we're going to launch in Washington, D.C. And, you know, the idea is, is that every time Frank gets a new market, you know, we'll add in the um, the uh, alcohol component, you know, in, inside the radio market. So he's not just relying upon the terrestrial radio side. He also has other aspects of it. And I'm also uh, I just cut a deal with uh, one of the biggest aromatic manufacturers in the world. And I'm going to be doing uh, candles and um, perfumes and colognes. But the proceeds, um, the majority of the proceeds are going to be going to mental health. 
Wow. Um, and we're going to be tying in with HBCUs. And though when I was approached to do this, I mean, I love the idea of tying into an initiative that I feel is not really being covered a lot, especially among the, amongst the youth. And I ran into a gentleman and his son was going to Howard University and he was having a lot of trouble. And finally, he had a great support network. And um, the gentleman told me about what he was doing. And I said, yeah, this, I can definitely help you partner with some big influencers and we can definitely raise a lot of money and um, tying in with those initiatives. So I'll be also, also offering to you know, my talent and in, in other talent in, this, in, uh, in the scene, you know, tie-ins for that aspect as well. Um, so I, you, know, you try to look for those authentic products that are doing good that tie into the, um, what the brand is about. And the, you know, to me, the bigger the potential upside that it can be, the better. Yeah. Uh, and, and let's stick on it. Let's talk a minute for affiliate relations. As a PD, I was always, I know, very wary of syndication projects that once they cleared your market, they'd run for the hills and, and leave little room for feedback and engagement from the local markets. You were the opposite of that. I mean, we worked together with Wendy Williams, and, and Lord knows you were as hands-on as with Wendy. You had to be hands-on, along with several of the other talents and Ricky Smiley and others. Give me your thoughts, Gary, on building a strong rapport with your client stations. I think that's been one of your biggest skill sets. I mean, it's everything. I mean, when you're, I mean, with Wendy's, you know, I mean, it's, you know, we had to have weekly phone calls, yeah. you know, you, it's like steering the ship. You know, if there's something that she's doing amazingly well, which was most of what she did, you know, we have to capture it, you know, and, and how can we, you know, build it into something bigger. Um, with the current radio show that we're launching with the Baker Boys, I'm in constant contact with um with phoenix in las vegas today i was on the phone with tom calicochi in, in, in vegas and he just played me a couple of breaks <laughs> that were amazing mm-hmm. and i you know and he figured a way of making it sound like you know these guys are in vegas which they're not every single day mm-hmm. and and if you come up with that kind of formula in the markets and they're really happy and then you um and then you integrate what you do well in those markets with new markets that are coming on you can have a successful product and now everything is social media how do yeah. we incorporate what, you know, they did, they had a special um, that they did on social media with Tupac. How do we help that do that in all the other markets that we're, that we're involved in? So you have to be, it's, it's almost like, you know, you're having a kid, you know, if you stay with that kid through from four years old to, to nine years old, they're going to let most likely have a very successful life. But if you don't spend any time with the kid, most likely he's going to get into trouble. So, mm-hmm. you know, we have to super serve every single station from the beginning and also you know i i want to make sure because i take a personal pride in it you know i don't care if it's a big station or a small station we want everybody to get the personalized attention because then they'll you know it's you're building relationships but the beginning is the most important part skip as you know you know if you don't win your first few stations you don't have any real chance of success no, it's very true. And wrapping up, Gary, anything that Ocean Trade Winds, your company, that you want to see happen in the near future, that you a mountain you're trying to climb? Like, what, what's in the future, near future for you? Um, you know, I I like doing things that are that are you know talk about innovation. Really haven't been done before. You know, that's that's what I love doing. I'm working on a TV project with um, Dr. Michael and. Andrea Kelly, our Kelly's ex-wife, called Forward Healing. Wow. I'm really, I'm really excited about that. They make a very unusual combination. That was just an organic meeting where 
Um, I was just trying to help Drea get some help because she was mm. somebody that went out in the country that helping other helping other people that were domestic abuse victims. Yeah. And I felt that who, who helps heal the healer? So I put her with Dr. Michael and then I saw the conversation what they were having and I said, man, you guys should be on television. And, you know, we did a pilot and we just cut a deal with the AIB networks and, you know, it's off and running. So I'm excited to see where that goes. Um, I'm working on a new musical genre called K-Hall. It's mm-hmm. um, it's it's um, merging dance hall, which yeah. is a, a genre that I've worked a lot in with K-pop. Mm-hmm. And my first artist is Megan Sue, and she's from uh, Trinidad. And yeah. she's a beauty queen from Trinidad and a beauty queen from Canada. So she's merging those genres together. So again, I like doing things that really haven't been done before. And my son, obviously, is named Shockface. He's a big EDM DJ. Yeah. And um, we're working on some different um, innovative tech- technology aspects with him. That's, um, you know, I, fo- I found myself today in Atlanta inside of a tour bus with people that are absolutely with doing some state of the art technology that's been done before. And we want to utilize that technology into his um, EDM brand. So I'm excited about that as well. That's excellent. I, you know, and Gary, I couldn't say enough about the international scene. You know, I've been trying to break in, uh, you know, on the African continent. I mean, you'll uh, meet an artist that was in South Africa in 2019, and you'll meet an artist you, you've never met them before, and, and you look at their IG and they've got 10 million followers. You know, K-pop is like that too, you know, with BTS, and they seem to print money, you know, and, and I think there's so many opportunities, man. You know. No, you know, you can you can do. I mean, I, I, I was doing 20,000 seat arenas in Norway with these two twin kids. <laughs> uh, and um, and I put a I put an artist um, that was on Columbia Records, Samantha J, uh, did a record with um, these two kids and it went platinum, you know, and utilizing their, their star power. And, uh, and it was, they were called Marcus and Martinez. And, they, you know, they were at that point in time were you know, 15 year old twins. But it was the integration of their star power overseas with somebody that was big over here and putting it together to create more of an international following. And I always felt that that's, um, and then an the interesting part of that one is when we broke Samantha J, um, we took another influencer named Andrea Russett, who was mm-hmm. at that point in time, a, a huge YouTube star that actually started doing radio with probably the first YouTuber that ever do radio. She did it with Phil Becker in Fort Wayne. Yeah. Put them both, put, put them both on the road together and in, you know, they, they were at that point in time doing uh, meet and tweets and 2000 people were showing up. And then by the time we went from Florida to New York, you know, the artists got a record deal, you know, yeah. without, without ever having performed before a live audience. So it was it was interesting. Man, that's that's good stuff. Well, Gary, thank you so much. I wanted to save a few minutes in case anyone in the audience has questions. Let people know how they can reach you. Best way to reach me is Gary at OceanicTradewinds.com um, via via email, you know, and my IG is, is every, everything is at Oceanic Tradewinds. Um, and I, you know, anybody would like to partner in any of the things we talked about, but everything I'm doing is on my website, OceanicTradewinds.com. I mean, I'm always looking to help, mentor, and innovate. Um, and Skip, again, I want one thing I want to say about you is that of all the people I've worked with in my decades of doing this, you were at the top of the list for being humble, you know, being there for everybody. You know, you were just a class act pro. So when you asked me to be on this, you know, obviously it was, it was a pleasure to do anything for you, Skip. And again, the industry needs more people like you uh, doing what you're doing. Well, man, I really, Gary, I appreciate that so much. And, and definitely uh, likewise to you, man, you have been uh 
a help to me since those days in New Orleans, Louisiana, when I was just starting out. So always appreciate you. Lloyd, I'm going to turn it back over to you, man. Okay, so this goes back to one of my favorite things. For years and years and years, until I was in my 40s, I always said, it's it's not who you know. What is it? Uh, it's not what you know. It's who you know. And then suddenly one day I found out that that was a lie, a total fabrication. It didn't make any sense at all. It's not who you know. It's who knows you. Now, I want you to kind of draw these dots and lines between the dots here. So we have tonight, tonight, right now, uh, Gary Bernstein, you just heard him from Oceanic Trade Winds talking about fame and social and how that is critical and important. And and wait a minute, uh, before that, this is how things on innovation and audio tie together. Phil Garini, who is the president of Jonas Group, was on a number of weeks ago. He's in our archive in the Encouragers Innovation and Audio podcast. You can find that. He talked about influencers and fame. You see how that's the same groove, right? These two guys understand the power of influencers and what Phil Garini said, these people have talent and their talent that major companies will pay millions of dollars for. That's very interesting. Then you get Mike Pell also from tonight's live event talking about how you create innovation and what the risk is involved. I want to thank Skip Dillard for that great interview and, of course, Gary. And listen, when you show up here for one of our live events, we do ask you to like our group, The Encouragers, and share it with other people that you know who love innovation or audio. Don't forget to follow people on the stage during this live event. Look around the room. We're big believers in connection, in mentoring, and in networking on the encouragers. It's not what you know, it's who you know, it's not who you know, it's who knows you. Thank you for being a part of being here and participating in our live events and telling others it's just as important. We are going to open up the room for a minute in case people might have questions for our guest or anyone on the panel. Just push the button at the bottom of your iPhone or Android device and raise your hand. We will bring you up to the stage. We do ask that you mute your microphone before we call on you. By the way, when you join the encouragers, we have people who only come to listen, that's okay with us too. Our goal is to provide interesting content and advice, career hacks that move your career forward and encourage you. But we don't mind sharing the stage with you if you are so inclined. So we do like to extend that offer each Wednesday, but don't feel pressured to talk. This is a safe place for absolutely everyone. Don't forget Monday, you can also join us at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific for our radio rally on Clubhouse right here on the encouragers this is these live events are like getting a phd i promise september 20th john zellner president programming operations iheart media a national programming group in new york new york will be with us annalise kaplan mornings with cash warren on 97.3 the eagle in norfolk will also be with us tell your friends in innovation audio and specifically radio they can get our free resources at rainmakerpathway.com in our free blog section and uh why don't we do the questions now uh let's hey, see hey Lloyd. We- yeah. Do, do, do you mind? I just wanted to thank you and Skip again uh, for having uh, Gary and I on tonight. And hey, Gary, I'm a huge bourbon aficionado. I love Pat Benatar and I'm looking for an agent. 
So let's. Hey, man. <laughs> well, we're gonna have to have a now discussion the, then. <laughs> that's the way to do that, right? Especially over yeah. bourbon, and, right? And I got I got the technology scoop for your son, so we're all set. Oh, like. Okay, we're gonna have to link up then. All right. This is how these this is how these and connections it, are made, by the way. And I'll drink. All right. So um, I I have no choice but to say this this next person. Uh, the only thing I have to go by here is ugly. Ugly is th that's your that's you, right? Yeah. No. 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 That's my that's my artist. That's my artist. Okay. So you have a question for somebody on our panel? Yeah. Yeah. I have a question. I'm based in Nigeria. Basically, uh, I own an independent record label. We are a managing artist. Um, basically, I've spent a lot on this artist trying to push the artist forward, but it seems I've put in more, much more money into the project, into her, but I'm not seeing any result. Like, I'm not seeing any impact in whatever I'm doing. Like, basically on the social media aspect because I, I can't get hacked and I'm trying to get back to, you know, back to standard on where she was and I'm working on dropping on EP as well too. So I don't know. So your question is about when do you know that you have spent too much or how, how do you get back somewhere in terms of managing an artist? Um, basically, I'm not really actually looking for, a, I'm just looking for an audience right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, really you know, I'll, for... I'll take it real quick. I mean, the one thing you want to, you know, as an artist manager, I think you have to look honestly at what your artist is doing. Uh, you know, are they, you know, are they putting out the best product they can put out? Are they committed um, you know, number one, I often ask, you know, what is their social media looking like? Like, you you know, um, I see artist managers trying to set up accounts and everything. What's, I think you always have to ask, what is the artist doing? Are they developing relationships and collaborations with artists that are already established? You know, as a manager, you can only do so much. Um, you know, it, it's going to, a lot of that's going to fall on the, on the artist. You know, I wish you the, the best on that. It's, it's a, that's a tough business is why, why I uh, have several times I had offers to come into the record side and I had artist management that did not just because of that. And, and as, <laughs> somebody that's done, as somebody that's done a lot of that, um, excuse me, Lloyd, uh, yeah, go it's, ahead. Uh, it's, you can spend a lot of money when you're passionate about something, but you really get to use some research and not try to conquer the world, maybe conquer a city or conquer a country. Um, you know, if you make in this day and age, we have so many aspects to so much great research. Like, so if you create a record and you try to, you know, and you put it online, you can get a, you know, and put on SoundCloud, you can get immediate feedback. Don't pour a ton of money into that song unless you see something happening. So many people right now just get so vested into a specific single and they spend a lot of money in it. They don't have enough money to keep on servicing the core because it used to be you release two or three songs a year. Now you have to release, you almost have to feed because of the algorithms and of the algorithms of Spotify. You have to feed it every month. So to be able to afford that, you know, you, you've, got to, you've got to be able to afford the production of doing every single month. Now, if you see all of a sudden a song start popping and people start reacting to it, that's when you get the investment dollars and to feed more into it. 
but you know you you don't want to go crazy over one song over one artist um, without knowing you got something and Gary, I got to tell you, your contribution and Mike tonight, too, I think both of you would agree. You you talked about this. Phil Garini talked about it several weeks ago, too. You today and Skip can talk about this, too. You really want your people to be engaged in social media. If they don't have a tribe of some kind, you do have to ask the question, what is happening with this artist? Because I'm sorry, we're, we're a quarter of the way basically through the 21st century. This is a social media environment, right? Oh, definitely. I mean, it's it's uh, it's everything. Um, you know, record companies right now are looking more for t- at TikTok people that have 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 an amazing virality than talented you know singers. You know, we're right. you know we're and it's and it's kind of sad because you you want the true artists that have tremendous talent to be the ones to get the keys, but you have you can have amazing vocalists. And amazing writers that just don't have the opportunity because their socials aren't there. And and right now, frankly, if you don't have an alliance and know how to market on TikTok, it's really going to be hard to break yourself into music. Well, and I think time changes and time changes what an artist is today as it'll change in 10 years too, right? So yes, and, yes, and no, because ultimately, if you can make great music and you and you know how to market that music with, mm-hmm. with whatever that is happening at the time, right? Um, you'll have a, you'll have a good chance, and especially if you're uniquely if you're unique and different, you have a great chance of success. But there's a lot more you have to be right now. I mean, you almost have to be you have to be your own writer because to put up the kind of content you have to do on a consistent basis. If you're not if you're dependent on other writers, it's going to be difficult. So if you're a singer-songwriter, you have your own niche, you know how to work social media, Um, you go on tour with social media artists. Um, I I work with a a touring company um, called Click Events, and we do something called Boys of Summer. And we go on the road with recording artists and and big TikTokers. And that's how Mm -hmm. recording artists build their audiences, because you start the tour with maybe... 30,000 followers, You after 30 cities, you wind up having maybe a half a million. And then all of a sudden, if people, if you have a passionate core of 10,000 people that love your music and you, and you deliver another song that's really, really good, it has that fuel to grow. But you have to have that passionate core. If you don't have a passionate core, it's hard to have a, a, a basis of growth. Gary, I really believe that what you're sharing with us of wisdom, it probably doesn't hurt to uh, find yourself a manager like Gary as well. We do try to keep things to about an hour on these live events. Our thanks to Mike Pell, director of the Microsoft Garage. Y'all should check that out in New York City. Now we learn that there's a bunch of these around the world. That's kind of exciting. It makes me want to go discovering different things. You know, I'm built on curiosity. Also, Gary Bernstein, the, the CEO of Oceanic uh, trade wins, uh, definitely somebody for you to learn from and connect with, uh, both of you guys for being our patient and giving guests. We appreciate that. A very special thank you to Joe Kelly for producing the encouragers innovation and audio podcast, which should be available within the next hour or so this live event that you're listening to right now. Thank you to just Joe for creating audio footprint and distributing our podcast. Please do share our podcast, the encouragers, the Radio Rally podcast and the Encouragers Innovation and Audio podcast with others that you know are interested in growing their careers in audio. 
Both of these podcasts are available right now on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Please remember, be kinder than you have to be. Thank you for being part of Innovation and Audio with the Encouragers. And good night.